0: Uh, well good morning and um, welcome to today's webinar on service resilience and software risk with Jill Wingland and Professor Ed Um, i I'm delighted to introduce the session today um, and I'm sure we'll have a, a lively session. Um, just to say um, a thank you um, to our sponsors. We're very fortunate at the FS Club to, be, uh, to have a range of sponsors who allow us to run this webinar series and range quite widely across the fields of economic, science, technology, history, um, you name it. Uh, we, we'll try to get into our conversation. Um, you'll probably know me, I'm Mike Wardle, I'm the CEO here at ZN. Um, I'm here today to chair the session um, and really to uh, do two things, to set the scene, but also then to uh, field your questions at the end of the programme. Uh, and the programme today is very simple. After my introduction, uh, we'll move on to a presentation from Jill and Ed. Um, setting the scene on service resilience, uh, and then we'll move into a Q&A session. Uh, If you haven't used the GoToWebinar system before, the way to ask a question is to find the question tab on the dashboard uh, on the side of your screen. You can type your question in, and you can do that at any point during the session. And please do, if something strikes you, you get the thought down uh, on the question tab, and we'll pick those up uh, during during the Q&A part of the uh, session today. Um, uh, The other uh, bits of housekeeping, first of all, that the session is being recorded today. um, So there's an opportunity for you um, to go back and re-watch the session if you need to refresh your memory um, or indeed to share a link to the session with your friends and colleagues who might be interested. Uh, The link will be up and live on the website uh, within a couple of days at the latest um, and we'll make sure that that uh, that that's available for you. Um, And we're finding a lot of people do now um take the time to to watch the webinars uh, online. Uh, the second piece of housekeeping is if you do ask a question during the session, uh, we will share your contact details with Ed and Jill, uh, so that if there's a need for follow-up discussion or um, back and forwards, um, then that can take place. And in particular, I know that uh, Jill and Ed are looking for uh, people to engage with um, on the issue of service resilience, um, and it may be that you're just expressing some interest uh, in further discussion. So that's the housekeeping out of the way. Um, it gives me great pleasure to introduce uh, this session. And we wanted to start with a couple of poll questions. The first one, uh, very simple, in your perception are outages of digital services uh, regarded as a fact of life. Uh, so if we could launch the poll and we'll give you uh, a couple of, uh, well, maybe a minute or so to uh, answer the question. So are digital outages now regarded as a fact of life. Uh, if we can see the results. Well, there you go. 100% oh. 100% <laughs> <say that>. okay. <laughs> we've got a we've got a second question for you to set the scene, um, and so this is very much linked. But it should outages of digital services be regarded as avoidable? And so a slightly different question, um, and your chance to give us your views now. So, should outages be regarded as avoidable? And we'll see the results. Uh, almost 100%, we're over over 90% uh, in terms of the the, the response. Um, So that sets the scene. Uh, Jill and Ed, over to you for uh, your thoughts and presentation.
1: So, yes, good morning. And picking up what Mike said, this is the second uh, time we've done a webinar with Long Finance on this topic as our project has progressed. We had a tremendous uh, set of engagements after our first one with people who've since worked along with us, which was delightful, as well as lots of useful inputs, and we're hoping for the same today. Just as a matter of detail, yes, I'm Jill Ringland, and Ed and I will be sharing this presentation between us. For the next slide, I will just describe the agenda, which is real simple. Uh, We'll do a bit about the background, just a few minutes, And then we'll start to think about what can be done, because we like 91 percent of the audience think that actually there ought to be some things that can be done. So we'll be discussing those and raising a couple of areas where very specific things might help us move the thing forward. So on the next slide, starting the background, uh, it was back in 2020 that um, Uh, I published with Tricia Lustig a pamphleteer called Global Risks. Is software, the fliegen der Soip. Uh, She's Dutch, and that's the fly in the soup, which we, uh, I think, usually say the fly in the ointment. But what we raised was the question that thinking about existential threats to our economy and society, should software be ranked along nuclear war, volcanoes, and the other things that people normally consider? Uh, we got a lot of hits on that uh, blog. And so uh, a bit later, Ed and I got together. And, uh, and of course, uh, uh, Ed has a really interesting background. He's a professor both of IT and economics. So thinking about the economic impact and the social impact, he's uniquely qualified. So between us, we ran something called the Service Resilience Working Group that was 17 really unusual individuals working together on this. We've engaged with the National Preparedness Commission, produced a report with them. We are engaging with the Business Continuity Institute. We've talked to regulators and insurance people. We've talked to people in the government and the public sector, the private sector, NGOs, professional bodies, consultants. We've published three reports and taken feedback. We've done three blogs. The reason I'm going through this is to say, this is not some random jottings so of a couple of people working in their studies with, you know, nice cushions in the background. This is actually based on the best possible soundings of people who know about this stuff and are anxious about it. So the very specifics of this webinar are that we had a roundtable involving the BCS, the National Preparedness Commission and the Business con- Sorry. BCS is British British Computer Society, as was, uh, and the Business Continuity Institute, and uh, came up with some recommendations. There will be a report later this month, uh, but that is where we've got to, and we're going to be asking for help at the end, and I think I switched to Ed on the next slide, please.
2: Right, so why is there a high level of interest in resilience now? Uh, Well, uh, there are a variety of answers. Uh, My favorite is uh, that the uh, pandemic uh, revealed to us all the problem of the fog of crisis and the problems of crisis management. Uh, If you're better prepared uh, for the crisis, uh, you'll be better prepared. Uh, to manage it. And so the UK has established a resilience framework with the plan to strengthen underpinning systems that provide the resilience to all risks. And it's built around three fundamental principles. Uh, We need to have an understanding of the risks that we face, that we must focus on prevention and preparation, and that resilience requires a whole society approach. Well, of course, this is uh, Uh, In a way, uh, a bit predictable uh, uh, rhetoric, uh, and uh, the problem is who and how uh, that uh, can uh, address these issues, uh, which is one of the things that we'll talk about. More generally, uh, consistent with the uh, first poll uh, question, uh, we observed that there is a lack of understanding across UK and wider uh, of the risks. To resilience. If you're complacent about them, as it seems to be uh, the case in uh, many quarters, then uh, you're not going to be taking uh, action. Uh, uh, And that lack of understanding has uh, several features to it. One reason, next slide please, uh, is that uh most of the software uh, used uh by organizations in the UK uh actually originates uh outside uh, uh of the UK that is uh things like open source uh which of course there are UK participants in commercial off the so- uh off the shelf uh software software as a service amazon cloud sap these are all uh Uh, service delivery platforms which originate outside of the UK and on top of that we have legacy systems that are embedded in our service delivery uh, uh, platforms and systems that are up to 40 years old. Uh, In that large bucket uh, there is a cup uh, and that cup is UK developed uh, software. Uh, So part of the reason for complacency is it's beyond the scope of direct control. Next slide, please. But nonetheless, software failure is an important factor, and it uh, is becoming more important because of particular trends. Uh, Digital system complexity uh, is capable of producing software failures, and the complexity of our systems the interdependence of our systems, the variety of things that are being incorporated into our systems uh, are all creating a greater complexity, and that has the possibility for uh, emergent properties of complex systems, what are called natural accidents. Uh, More people are using the services delivered through software. Uh, we now have an explosion of efforts to harness uh, AI, which bears its own uh, risks. Uh, and we can observe uh, the increasing uh, service outages. It's a rare week that goes by that we don't encounter uh, a service out- outage, most of which can be traced back uh, to some form of software or IT failure. and. Uh, Looping back to the uh, pandemic, uh, the lessons from the pandemic uh, indicate we need to consider resilience across. I would stress here uh, events uh, are a big driver uh, in understanding the importance of uh, software failure uh, for resilience. Uh, uh, Cyber attacks. Uh, the incidence of capital's loss of data, national air traffic systems failure, all indicate how services can be dramatically taken out uh, by software problems. Next slide, please. So what can be done? Um, um, Well, the traditional approach, and this is uh, an approach that's still... Uh, prominent. So when we've uh, consulted with uh, DSIT about the uh, uh, issue, uh, they come back to the uh, idea that we can improve resilience by improving software components. However, as computer professionals, we realize that this has been going on, this attempt to improve software components has been going on for half a century. Uh, And although progress has been made, uh, uh, there are still, uh, uh, it it is not probable that they will be, uh, that this will be an entirely effective technique because uh, services are delivered by these tightly coupled digital systems, the software developed outside, and the contracts for software are usually under the terms set by suppliers. So this means uh, activities to improve the standards of software development or measure software component quality are not alone able to reduce software failure or improve service delivery in any relevant timescale. This is a key message. Uh, So what can be done, next slide. Uh-huh. I'm going to give you a little background to the recommendations and then uh, Jill will uh, present the recommendations. In, a, in effect, this background uh, is a kind of recommendation uh, to organizations because it reflects our findings uh, as to what works. Okay, next slide please. Um, the Financial services regulation has uh, uh, developed what can be called a service delivery approach to resilience. Uh, It it involves a number of elements, the three most important of which are uh, an organization mapping the services that are critically important to the organization. Uh, There's another process, which is uh, determining uh, what is uh, critical, uh, and that involves both qualitative and quantitative elements. So the second aspect is uh, the quantitative element, uh, defined critical in terms of losses, service availability, financial loss, reputational damage, and safety compromises, or in other words, threats to health and safety. And the third element of the service delivery uh, process is mitigation, to try to, uh, Proactively test systems and implement plans capable of addressing failure and its lost consequences within this framework uh, of attempting uh, to address the critical systems to the organization. Uh, This is different than a components based approach, it takes uh, the end result or the consequences and works backward uh, to improving. Uh, on uh, resilience. And to give you an idea uh, of how this then becomes operational, next slide, please, Uh, uh, there is the NIS framework, uh, which takes these elements uh, called here parameters, availability, uh, uh, integrity, authenticity, or confidentiality, risk, and material uh, damage, and uh, establishes thresholds, the NIS framework has a specific set of uh, 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 threshold parameters, thresholds for these parameters. Now, there are some nevertheless issues with this kind of framework uh, for measuring. Uh, One of them is qualitative. Uh, Reputation doesn't figure in this framework. Uh, That's partly because it's a very situated, uh, context dependent. Uh, We can see, for example, in the Uh, recent uh, concern about the future of NatWest uh, caused by uh, the goings-on with Nigel Farage's bank account, uh, not a software failure, uh, human failure, uh, but this indicates the reputational risks that organizations have
3: Ed, your sound has gone. Uh, Ed, we can't hear you just at the moment. Um. Uh, Ed, we, we, we still can't hear you just at the moment. Um Ed, uh, Ed, we can't hear you. We didn't hear the last bit. I think maybe uh, Sasha, we should go on to the next slide.
1: Okay, So uh, all our recommendations share a framing thought that without data, it's not possible to take effective action. We know that government publishes data on the cost of road accidents, for instance, and from various estimates and studies, we we believe that the cost of software failures is considerably in in excess of uh, that of road accidents. But we have no measurements. And so, for instance, The insurance industry can't really get engaged until uh, some data is available. So, in a way, there's a sequence in which uh, these recommendations might get taken up. The first is that government could take a lead in publishing data on service outages of government services using the NIS framework. They have an NIS framework, it's used for Um, deciding how to fine uh, RGSPs, Registered Data Service Providers, when they lose or compromise users' data. But it it does have the ability to be extended outside Registered Data Service Providers, and it does have the capability of being uh, used for service outages as well as data compromise. So there is a framework, as Ed said before we lost his sound, it's not perfect, but it's there and it's a start. So that's our first recommendation. The second is that the government should set up either a government or a nonprofit organization tasked with collecting and collating data about software failures and related outages across all sectors. Now this could be piloted maybe with a trade body and We are very uh, much focused around the potential risk to the economy and society of failures in the infrastructure sectors, which of course have an enormous leverage effects on the rest of us. And so possibly thinking about trade bodies covering some of the infrastructure sectors might be a useful pilot. Regulators, similarly. Regulators in the infrastructure sectors do not include uh, standards for for digital service outages. Obviously, Ofcom is slightly different, uh, and they're moving in the right direction. But we need to recognize that uh, sectors that we think of as physical, like transport, are actually totally dependent on digital services these days. And so uh, these standards for digital services are absolutely crucial for delivering physical services. And we made the appointment about insurance. There is a precedent in terms of government backstop for very large outages from terrorism insurance. But without data, it's very difficult for the reinsurance guys to start wheeling into action. So that's government and it's all around what we can do almost at a national level, or even contributing to international discussion about this problem in terms of information and definitions around service outages related to software failure. The next slide relates to what specific organizations might do. And so uh, I was very intrigued by the 100% whole answer right at the beginning, which was that of people thought that uh, software failures were regarded as a fact of life. Okay, Um, this is very dangerous to the rest of us because uh, organizations uh, have boards and if they are not aware of the risks to their businesses, it's a danger to the rest of us. And one of the interesting uh ahas out of the round table we held last week was Uh, examples of using uh, tools, methods uh, to engage with the imagination of government boards and C-suite decision makers. And so we played a simulation game, which gave people a lot of, oh, interesting, because it engages at a different dimension. Just relying on numbers to talk to governments boards and C-suite won't work. Engaging with this simulation, going through an exercise of what if, and it can be with scenarios, it can be with computer simulation, it could be just conversation, but it has to engage the imagination. And also, we obviously think that the service delivery approach is a very proven and pragmatic way to go ahead. We know that there are ways to improve service resilience in critical national infrastructure, in financial services. It's moving that the knowledge of those methods into the sectors which are crucially dependent on digital services, but the decision makers don't yet realize it. So that's the first area. The second area is that um, the British Computer Society and the Business Continuity Institute have in their site to develop and promote certification on service resilience. This is allied to work in the standards bodies because certification does need standards. Uh, There's a precedent in cyber essential certification of how this might work, 38,000 people have been through that. And so we can see that there are a couple of professional organizations moving forward on that, um, that plaque. So
3: I think, Sasha, we're ready for the second poll.
0: And again, if you could just give us your view, are attitudes of digital services simply a fact of life? I'll give you a few seconds to engage. And uh, still is a hundred percent. So we haven't yeah. managed to shift that. Oh, we
1: we we didn't we didn't want to change their minds uh, because we think that you know that's that's our crucial hurdle. Uh, so the second question
3: on the poll,
0: and again, you can uh, answer that question now. thank you very much oh so it's a slight change but still at over 80 percent there
3: okay
1: right so um, on our final slide i'd like to ask specifically in the discussion session for uh thoughts on organizations Trade bodies, professional associations who might want to pilot information sharing on service outages. Uh, Secondly, thoughts on organisations who might want to uh, engage in pilots or publish case studies on board engagement, what works and what doesn't. I mean, I would have thought a business school is an absolutely good place for leading a project on this. Uh, Looking for ideas. So open for discussion. What else and who to do it? over back to Mike
0: to chair the discussion then, I think. Well, thank you very much indeed, Jill. And um, Ed, I know you, you realise we lost your um, audio at uh, some point. And Clive Bullen has uh, asked, you know, have there been lessons learned on better IT preparedness for this webinar? Uh, whether it heads out, whether it heads out, it was a practical example of the problem of online uh, technical t- issues. And, and, and I think it... The, 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 there's an issue here around the criticality of systems, I guess, which is the one, you know, the fact of a webinar perhaps not working and having to be rerun on a different time is maybe not uh, critical um, to service delivery. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just like your thoughts, both you, Jill and Ed, on the, the 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 matrix between service outage and the criticality of that service outage um, and how you uh tell those stories i think because i think you're right telling stories to the board uh, which bring this to life is really important um who would like to go first
1: well i mean obviously there are some industries where service outages may be inconvenient to some people but actually don't matter the games industry i mean it, it would matter to some teenage boys that they're cut off from but actually in terms of the economy and society uh the uh and within an organization you know some uh services are more critical at some times of year than the others, so one of the people in the round table works for h m r c and there are about two weeks where it is absolutely critical that the uh self assessment software works so that people can file their tax returns so one of the yes of course, why hadn't we thought of that before things that came out of the round table was the fact that organizations uh Some organizations have had a conversation about which are the critical services and which aren't. Others have not. And that's the first step. The first step is having that conversation. And since we saw that an awful lot of people believe, and I don't disagree, that it's sort of a fact of life, this crucial step seems to us getting people to start that conversation and so it's that step how do you prompt the conversation because people are smart once they see what's happening they they can go and deal with it but it hasn't been on the agenda yet and particularly we think for infrastructure sectors it's a big problem a big looming problem that we as citizens face Um,
3: Hey, do you want to add?
2: Yes. Yeah, so you can hear me now, I presume. Uh, yep. Uh, we uh, came uh, in our discussions often back to the idea uh, uh, rather dismally, maybe what we need is a big catastrophe in order to motivate people to be concerned. Uh, uh, so for years, uh, for example, people talked about pandemic pre- preparedness uh, and it was uh uh, always a sort of back burner issue until we had a pandemic and now of course we have enormous uh, amounts of effort being devoted uh, to it. If we go to one uh, other related issue which was uh, the so-called Y2K problem uh, which was is often publicized as the problem that didn't happen Well, one of the reasons that it didn't happen was that enormous amounts of money and time were devoted to averting it uh, happening. Uh, uh, So uh, that's one of the paradoxes uh, uh, of this process of trying to create systems that are silent running. They don't have uh, big crises. and events uh, because they're anticipated and uh, uh, efforts are made uh, uh, to smoothly and quickly uh, go to fallback plans, as I have with my audio today.
0: (laughs) Uh, Thank you very much. Um, Ian Harris is on the line. Um, he asked just a a question about that government needs to be involved in terms of government systems but his preference is very much for sectors such as IT to be self-regulating through standards which um, you've mentioned a bit um, and self-insuring and you know is is that where you think the the, this is going Um, that for most sectors it's going to be sort of standardization and self-insuring through mutualization um, as a a way to deal with the risk that um, digital outage faces
1: so are you? I'm not sure. Hello, Ian. I'm not sure what your question is. Um, Is it about organizations insuring themselves? If so, um, this is in a bit of a a crosshair at the moment, because uh, it's not clear whether a lot of business continuity insurance will cover software-related downtime and the the damage caused to the organization. Uh, There are because at the moment uh, insurance is re- uh, not av- available if for instance a cyber attack is uh, i think it's from a state um state organization but it is covered if it's from a private citizen well how do you uh, you know the lawyers get fat and happy for five years arguing about whether the three guys in belarus are a state actor or not and so There will be a movement in due course towards impact insurance. Doesn't matter what the cause is. And so one of the things that we're uh, pushing in terms of the cyber consultations that are going on with government is that the cyber consultation should be extended to software accidents and because it really doesn't matter to an organization, whether it's three guys in Belarus or whether it's an incompetent operator uh, that they haven't trained uh, who puts the system down, it's the impact. And it's the impact actually, not just on the organization, but on the users. And so we keep coming back to the impact on the users, which is why the NIS framework is useful because it talks about number of user hours lost. And we think that's crucial. As you think more and more about a service economy, user hours lost is criminal. It hits productivity immediately so thinking about user hours loss is probably a stage beyond uh linking cyber and software insurance and impact in insurance getting into a an insurance against uh claims from people who have lost service may well be later
0: thank you for that um <clears throat> chris david just asked given the view clearly expressed in the audience that um, outage kind of is seen now as a fact of life, um, how do we get the issue taken seriously, not only government by major organisations, but also other major organisations, and asking whether we need to build the financial case, is that the way that we get people interested and get people to respond, and maybe Ed, I'll start with you from the economic perspective, but Jill, I'm sure you'll have thoughts as well.
2: Yes, well well. Clearly uh, uh, enumerating the uh, the costs of individual incidents uh, can be helpful in raising awareness, but the fundamental problem is that complacency is fed by it hasn't happened to me uh, uh, and uh, and everything's all right in my organization until it happens uh, uh, so uh, in the first instance we can uh, Uh, document the cost of individual incidences, but as Jill was suggesting in the recommendations, uh, getting a a broader database of uh, occurrences and impact and consequences uh, would provide a much firmer basis for undermining the idea it's not going to happen to me, uh, uh, because it becomes more like uh, the prospect of a road accident. Uh, uh, Yes, you can go, particularly when you're a young person, you can go around believing that road accidents will never happen to me. But as you get older and more experienced and see what happens on the road, you realize it's a real possibility. And
1: picking up on that, uh, Liz Varga, who is a professor of infrastructure at UCL, is very clear that. In the infrastructure sector, there, and this also came up in interviews with um, the, the Scottish office, that in the infrastructure sectors, there is a big disconnect between legacy systems which work reliably at what they were designed for and bolt on systems from other organizations that have totally different failure characteristics and that. This is—it's really lethal this this in, intersection because it's the uh, the bought-in components haven't been designed to the same standards, and the legacy systems are running out of both. And so, thinking about uh, keeping coming back to the infrastructure industries, how do we tackle the infrastructure industry and get the the message through to them that these things are going to bite them in the bum. Absolutely. We don't know when. And as Ed says, maybe we need a big disaster. But certainly working with the National Preparedness Commission, they they get worried because they know that, for instance, if there are certain sorts of electricity failures uh, for three days, the refrigeration systems across the country would have failed, and our food supply chain would have been corrupted. So we'd have to throw away food stocks and leading to shortages and so on. So this is an this is important for organizations who don't think about their software systems.
0: Yeah, I mean, two thoughts come to mind. The first is um, people manufacturing complicated machinery now. Uh, picking up components from you know, different places, I mean, all has to be brought together in a single computer <laughs> computer system uh, to manage all the software that comes with all those components. So I mean, even a car nowadays has has that problem. Uh, the second okay, can, issue, I just, oh,
1: can I just just can I just add to that? To, uh, talking to one of the people we interviewed, uh, he was aware of the um, the number of software components in smart meters and the number of different suppliers of each of the. I think he said there were about a dozen different components that went together to make a smart meter, and each of those components had to have, for competitive reasons, three different suppliers. And so you work out the combinatorics, and it's a wonder that any smart meters
3: ever work at all.
0: Chris David's followed up his question, just asking about you know, whether this might work through the insurance industry. Uh, for example, making insurance cover dependent on organizations demonstrating ad- adequate contingency preparation and planning that you know organizations have considered digital outage risk as, you know, to make the insurance valid. Is that kind of mechanism one that you think might might take off? I think legal that's part,
1: of the, that,
2: that's part of the uh problem of uh, coming up with uh, appropriate insurance premiums. Uh, uh, There are outfits now that protect you against cyber risks, uh, but insist upon building a wall uh, around you uh, to intercept uh, those uh, cyber risks. When we talk about these uh, natural accidents, Uh, It becomes a little bit more uh, complicated uh, for the insurer to specify what the company has to do in order uh, to qualify, and even more basic, uh, the insurer uh, uh, has a problem of what premium to set because of the lack of of data. So uh, nothing wrong with the idea that this can be addressed by insurance and in fact, The existence of the Underwriters Laboratory or the CE standard in uh, Europe is a great example of how insurers have pushed for standards uh, precisely uh, in order to reduce the risk, but also to gather data about uh, the risks that are faced. So electrical fires were something that were uh, uh, recorded and therefore became the focus of attention. Uh, Maybe
1: maybe two things to add to that. Uh, It was very clear when talking to the reinsurers that uh, most big companies have reasonable insurance cover. That would be, you know, the FTSE 100 or 250. But once you get outside that, and of course, most of our economy runs on SMEs, they don't have the ability to ask for or it's not financially viable for them to have insurance. That's a big risk in that soft underbelly. The second thing is that uh, we don't have uh, the the process developed far enough yet to be uh, able to say it will work. But the Resilience essential certificate provides something that might be a useful bridge for SMEs and larger companies in terms of a a language for dealing with insurance claims or insurance subscriptions so uh, as ed says it's it's a difficult picture
0: and i guess we're coming towards the end of the session now but i wonder whether um you're aware of what international um bodies are doing around this because this is obviously a problem that faces um you know, all developed economies um and is there a sort of international discussion around around this whole area of digital outage
1: um the ec is is having discussions uh because they were the people who formulated this nis framework uh and so and the, the financial services sector is having these discussions uh so there's the dora standards coming out of the ec Uh, The U.S. Feds are adopting uh, a Bill of Materials approach. They're concerned about it, but I think that's probably
3: not the right answer, as it were. Um, And... um, Oh, yes. uh, The International Standards Bodies, uh, ISO,
1: there are a couple of activities going on. One is... uh, chaired by a member of our working group and that's about infrastructure resilience uh, which will include software because she's part of being part of the working group and there is another around software resilience service resilience due to software uh, which uh, a member of the working group is going to be serving on the iso and bsi committees because one aha that came out for me from the round table was that international standards you know they may be woolly but they sort of work, they're the best we've got. And Hmm. so getting behind the international standards activities
2: is a yes and.
0: Super. And any final thoughts on internationalization?
2: Well, just to add one more element uh, from Gels, if you are a data service provider uh, of sufficient size, who plans to provide your data services outside of the UK, you will fall under a a collection of uh, uh, regulations with regard to data service provision, uh, which are, again, oriented to resilience. So I'd come back to this issue uh, that the small and medium-sized enterprises, of which uh, uh, are are not only numerous and uh, a dominant share of employment in in the economy, uh, but also, uh, for those people that uh, still believe in uh, conventional economics or mainstream economics uh, are key to making a competitive uh, uh, economy. We don't necessarily need more ultra-large organizations uh, yeah. in our uh, in our economy uh, uh, to have uh, an effective and competitive economy.
0: Well, thank you very much. Time has beaten us, uh, but thank you so much um, to... Um, and, and Jill and Ed, I'll get a chance to thank them properly in a minute. Um, a few a few thank yous also to you. First of all to you the audience for turning up, thank you so much uh, for your engagement uh, and thanks again to our sponsors for uh, helping us run this series of webinars. We have some uh, other events coming up of course. Um, can financial engineering save the planet tomorrow? Uh, faster payments fraud and a strategic outlook for financial institutions uh, next Tuesday and UAE Investment Trends and the Energy Transition uh, next Wednesday. So keep an eye on the website for forthcoming events. Um, And finally, um, Jill and Ed, um, I'm sure we shall have you back uh, maybe in another year's time to um, give us an update on uh, how you're going. Um, But we really do wish you well with the uh, endeavor, um, and we hope that this will um, continue the debate and uh, make things happen. So thank you very much indeed for your contribution. Um, Thank you all, and we look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you.
3: Thank you, Mike.